1: CISA and the FBI issue an update on royal ransomware, a look at smash-and-grab ransomware attacks as well as cloud vulnerabilities, a pre-Black Friday look at card skimmers, fences and their place in organized cybercrime, DP World Australia restores port operations, Joe Kerrigan on scammers taking advantage of the Bittrex crypto market being shut down, in our industry voices segment, Usama Holila from Cross Realms International shares his insights on the pivotal role of AI in cybersecurity, and Lockbit may be drawing unwelcome attention to itself. Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. We begin with a warning from the Feds, specifically from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the Federal Bureau of Investigation a classic double extortion ransomware gang that both encrypts and doxes its victims, Royal is undergoing some changes. The Royal Ransomware Gang is a classic double extortion ransomware operation that both encrypts and doxes its victims. CISA and the FBI yesterday updated their advisory, stating, Since September 2022, Royal has targeted over 350 known victims worldwide, and ransomware demands have exceeded 275 million U.S. dollars. Royal conducts data exfiltration and extortion prior to encryption and then publishes victim data to a leak site if ransom is not paid. Phishing emails are among the most successful vectors for initial access by Royal threat actors. There are indications that Royal may be preparing for a rebranding effort and or a spin-off variant. Black Suit Ransomware shares a number of identified coding characteristics similar to Royal. A previous joint CSA for Royal Ransomware was published on March 2, 2023. This joint CSA provides updated IOCs identified through FBI investigations. CISA and the Bureau have updated their notes on the gang's tactics, techniques, and procedures, as well as their list of indicators of compromise. Read and heed CISOs, and look to user awareness training. Rebranded or spun off, the operators behind Royal can be counted on to continue their phishing. Sophos has published its 2023 Active Adversary Report for security practitioners, noting a precipitous decline in dwell time for all attacks. This represents both an increase in the attacker's proficiency, they're able to get in, root around, and get out faster, even as they continue to use tried-and-true tactics, techniques, and procedures. It also suggests that the criminals are aware that defenders are now more alert and much quicker on the uptake. There's no time for anything other than a smash-and-grab. Illumio has released a cloud security survey conducted by Vance and Bourne, finding that 47% of breaches in the last year at surveyed organizations originated in the cloud. There are some trends in cloud vulnerabilities that are worth some attention. First, complexity of applications and workloads and the immense overlap of cloud and on-premises environments complicate the defender's task. Second, still more complexity, diversity, and the expansive number of services that cloud providers offer. And finally, it's difficult to maintain situational awareness in that complicated environment poor visibility over all the above, including the inability to identify weak points and proactively ensure protection rather than just reactively locking down compromised systems. Malwarebytes is tracking an increase in card skimming campaigns ahead of the holiday shopping season. The researchers describe a large credit card skimming operation called Crytek that surfaced in March 2023. The threat actors craft customized skimmers for each compromised website. Malwarebyte says the experience was so smooth and seamless that it made it practically impossible for online shoppers to even realize that their credit card information had just been stolen. In April, the skimming campaign reached a peak and then slowed down during the summer. However, it came back, increasing to its highest volume in October. And of course, all of this can be expected to continue and probably increase during the holiday season. It's not just card-skimming, either. There is also an increase in organized shoplifting. A report from NISOS looks at cybercriminal fences involved in organized retail crime. The researchers note, ORC is separate from typical shoplifting committed by individuals stealing goods for personal use. To acquire products, an ORC enterprise typically steals large quantities of merchandise from stores or cargo locations to resell online, at independent locations, or through other retailers. It works because of the widespread and largely unregulated aftermarket for stuff that thrives online. Niso says it all comes down to the fencing, stating, The success and endurance of ORC relies on the fencer's ability to sell stolen merchandise to consumers who are either unwitting or apathetic to the product's origin and acquisition. A review of court cases showed fencers are often the top individuals in smaller or less complex enterprises, while larger enterprises may involve senior individuals who help divert and clean stolen goods before resale. DP World Australia has reopened port operations as its investigation into the cyber attack the company sustained Friday continues. There is so far no public disclosure of the precise nature of the incident and no known criminal group appears to have claimed responsibility. DP World did issue a statement to its various stakeholders in which it said, a key line of inquiry in this ongoing investigation is the nature of data access and data theft. Bleeping Computer points out that data theft is typically a concern of extortion attacks, but there's been no public acknowledgement that the incident involved ransomware. In any case, a concern about data loss would be prudent in any victim of a cyber attack. And finally, has Lockbit maybe gone too far with its recent attacks? The Washington Post comments that Lockbit's attack against the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China's ICBC Financial Services Division may backfire against the gang. Lockbit is generally regarded as operating under the tolerance and effective protection of the Russian government— Lockbit says that it's based in Amsterdam and that it's a group of disinterested criminals without political purposes and interested simply in financial gain. It's got a plausible case for financial motivation, but the group's Russian identity isn't in serious question. It operates effectively as a privateer, free to attack where it will as long as it avoids Russian targets. It also runs an affiliate program in which it licenses its malware to other criminal franchises. U.S. and especially Chinese authorities are unlikely to ignore or overlook the attack on ICBC. Prominent members of the Chinese Communist Party lost money in the financial turmoil that followed the attack, and China is likely to take enforcement action against the gang. Russia may have been embarrassed by an attack against a country that it's assiduously courted as a wartime ally, and it's not impossible that Russian security services might make a gesture against Lockbit with a round of arrests. The Post lists some other possibilities surrounding the attack. Russia may have approved the attack as retaliation for Chinese cyber espionage. Lockbit may have imperfect control over its affiliates and is brazening out the attack to avoid losing face in the underworld. Or the Russian government's close relationship with cyber gangs may be fraying under the pressure of the war against Ukraine. LockBit told Reuters yesterday that ICBC had paid the ransom demanded and that the matter was now closed, but that's just LockBit's unreliable word. After all, ransomware gangs aren't known for their honesty. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan on scammers taking advantage of the Bittrex crypto market being shut down. In our Industry Voices segment, Usama Hulila from Cross Realms International shares his insights on the pivotal role of AI in cybersecurity. Stay with us. Usama Hulila is founder and CEO of Cross Realms International, an IT services provider. In this sponsored Industry Voices segment, Usama Hulila outlines his thoughts on the pivotal role of AI in cybersecurity and its potential to revolutionize our response to cyber threats.
2: Historically speaking, it used to take three months for an attack to take place. Like if we go back to target and others, it was three months. And then it dropped down to a couple of weeks, then a couple of days. And now we're zero to four hours uh, for an attack to start uh, start to finish. So the thought is uh, a human isn't going to be able to deal with it because it's, it's actually quite complex as a problem. So one, you have to receive the logs in time. Two, you have to figure out what those logs are and correlate them and enrich them. Then figure out what action to take on them. And you have zero to four hours. Well, that's kind of short. That's extremely short. So um, the way I view AI is a way to kind of speed things up uh, so that we're able to react uh, skillfully or automatically before the hackers are able to kind of complete their attack.
1: Can you walk us through that process? I mean, a, a threat actor decides that they have their sights set on an organization how could AI help facilitate the, their defense?
2: The way we're dealing with it is we're looking at all the machine data th- that is coming in, and we're trying to turn it into a, an enriched data that is in a human format. So instead of looking at pages and pages of logs that you have to somehow try to forensically understand, we're turning it into a simple format, simple language Format So it says, for instance, this person logged in, this person did this, this person changed their password, this person went somewhere else. So the first thing we're, we're dealing with is utilizing AI to turn uh, machine data into a human language model. And then from there, um, turning that into action, whether automated or human, depending, of course, on what it is. So this is how, at least for us at CrossFarms, that's how we're tackling AI, and cybersecurity.
1: And what part does the human have to play in this equation?
2: Well, a lot of times there are outliers, like you could, you could program a lot of things. You could program, uh, for instance, your reaction to an attacker coming in on a firewall, or for instance, an attacker coming in in the cloud. But what happens if the actor is much more capable or smarter than that and trying to come in from different vectors? This is where AI could look at a at a huge amount of data and understand what's happening or learn what's happening fast enough to counter it a human can usually deal with a single incident or multiple incidents but if you have thousands of incidents and they're all kind of are there to to deceive you or to to have you look at a at an issue somewhere else instead of focusing on what's happening where the attack vector is ai actually can help tremendously here
1: What's the potential here for cross-organizational data sharing? You know, I'm imagining you know, you all, for example, work with organization A and, and some alarm gets tripped on their system. Could that inform the way that
2: organization B gets defended while still maintaining privacy? A hundred percent. So one of the things that we're working on currently is we're collecting data from our managed services customers and other customers who are willing We're collecting correlating that data. We're collecting from uh, other resources that are out there and available, even the paid ones. And it does work. And it's extremely, extremely effective because in a sense, it closes in the attack area, the surface area. It becomes much smaller as we create these large filter sets. Uh, basically, for instance, if, uh, if an attacker tries to hit a bank, then hit a law firm, then hit a professional services company, etc., there can't be anything, uh, use, uh, anything good in here. Obviously, this is an attack in progress. And by having everybody sharing that data and collecting it and taking action on it, that means that dynamically worldwide, we are able to close in and, and um, reduce that surface attack area. To what degree
1: do you believe that the bad guys are utilizing this technology themselves?
2: 100%. I mean, they are definitely using it. One of the things that we are afraid of is, look, whatever whatever system you buy currently on the internet, um, anywhere, to to actually create your defense. Well, guess what? They have the same ability. They're a business. They're going to buy it. They're going to use it. They're going to study it. They're going to dynamically monitor it. So that's one of the issues is uh, for us that we have to stay ahead of it by making sure that people don't have access to it, or if they do, that it is of no consequence, that it doesn't give them an advantage. But currently what I've seen is a lot of these attackers and hackers have full access to the entire platform that most companies use to defend themselves.
1: What are your recommendations for that cybersecurity leader who is curious about this and and perhaps wants to check it out for their own organization?
2: What's the best way to get started here? I would say it's difficult. Uh, That's part of the problem. We actually, as an organization, we we didn't see the amount of effort that it takes before, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. So just to repeat that, we as an organization... Uh, we didn't realize how much effort it takes to secure an organization. You're talking about patching. You're talking about updates and upgrades. You're talking about uh, protection and firewall audits. You're talking about compliance, the cloud. It takes a lot of effort to do it. So uh, those are the basics. You have to do that first. And then the AI comes in. uh, if, uh, If an organization is interested in an AI and they do have a development team of a sort, then yes, they should definitely start installing it, uh, looking online, getting some training classes, installing it, training it, etc. But it takes a lot of effort. The team that we have currently working on it uh, at CrossRuns is like almost twelve people, and it's a it's a slug. Uh, and the reason, although we're working with a with a um, a limited amount of data, which is basically cloud firewalls, perimeter identity access management other services, DNS, et cetera, it still takes uh, a large amount of time uh, in order to do it because to train it, you have to kind of walk through the process, walk through the logs, et cetera. So do I advise a medium or a large size organization to get into it? Definitely, because they're going to learn a lot. It's not the issue of achieving some AI nirvana. It's the idea of learning from it and being comfortable with it or being, you know, getting acquainted with it enough so that you would know where it fits your organization and where it doesn't. That's Usama Hulila from Cross Realms International.
1: And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hey, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, saw a story about some research that the folks over at Abnormal Security were doing here uh, about some scammers trying to take advantage of, I guess, some news news about the Bittrex uh, crypto market being shut down. Right. Uh, Unpack what's going on here for us, Joe. All right. So this is some research from Mike Britton, who is
0: the writer of this abnormal report. Okay. And abnormal being the company name, not (laughs) the abnormal report. Right. Uh, So what happened was there was a company called Bitrex that started trading cryptocurrency, and they were doing that in the U.S., and the Security and Exchange Commission said uh, the SEC here in the US said, no, you can't do that. Now you're an unlicensed security uh, dealer. Okay. So they shut down in April. And they, this, so they didn't, it wasn't like FTX where there wasn't any money there. The money was still there. So they said to everybody, okay, you have until August to get your money out. Hmm. And they sent emails out. And by the time the deadline rolled around, uh, which was the end of August, Something like 77% of these accounts had less than $100 in them. Okay. Meaning that everybody who had gotten their money out essentially had the opportunity and took it to go get their money out of the account. Okay. So these fishers in October, well after the deadline, sent another email saying, last chance to get your money out. And... It was a essentially just a credential harvesting operation.
1: So they sent the email pretending to be someone from Bitrex.
0: From Bitrex, and they sent it to Bitrex uh, in, in people who had Bitrex accounts. Okay, but mostly students because huh. a lot of them were academics. I'd like to know where they got the mailing list. Hmm. That may be public information. I don't know. It may not be, but they sent this email out to target specifically people that were BitREx users in the hopes of uh, harvesting their credentials. Now, they're probably not going to get any money because the deadline has already passed, hmm. right? But what they are going to get is username, password combinations, which could be email address and password combinations. Right. So once they have that, that's what Mike Britton is is theorizing they're, uh, they're going after here, is they're just building... Uh, essentially, another criminal product for the for the black market. Yeah, of username and password combinations.
1: And presumably, in this case, the, because it's something that was used for something like someone's crypto account, that perhaps it is a combination of username and password that people put value in or use for other valued accounts. Correct is what so, I'm, try- I'm trying to say.
0: Let's say you have uh, an account still at another cryptocurrency exchange like Kraken that's still open. Right. And you use the same password, which which you shouldn't do. Right. (laughs) So now what you've just done is in using the same password on Bitrex and Kraken, you've just given them your Kraken account. Yeah. Now they can go in and essentially send themselves all your cryptocurrency out of your Kraken account that's still valid. Yeah. Assuming you don't have multi-factor authentication on your Kraken account, which you should do.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me in these cases, you know, this is something you and I talk about over on Hacking Humans a lot that... There seems to be a degree of kind of self-filtering in these scams where, you know, you certainly within the mix of folks who are active with cryptocurrency, there's going to be a certain number of them who are unsophisticated. Yes. And the way that this scam works, it seems to be coming at them in a number of directions to take advantage of their lack of sophistication. Right. Like number one, it's just a typical phishing scam, right? Right, uh, right?
0: Credential harvesting scam. Number two, it's after the deadline has expired mm-hmm. to withdraw your funds, and well, I guess those are the two big ones. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's yeah, you're right. It does target people with a certain lack of sophistication in this. Right. Um, you know, I, I say this on hacking humans frequently, but when you're investing in crypto, don't do that unless you can afford to take whatever money you're. Going to invest in crypto, out into the street and light it on fire, <laughs> and you know because we don't know where this is going. I mean, it may it may be the currency of the future. Yeah, uh, it may not be right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is a high risk. Um, even if you know what you're doing, it's still a high risk investment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, they say that the perpetrators here were fairly sophisticated in the emails right uh, that they no sent grammatical
0: out. errors in the emails
1: yeah yep. yeah which makes me wonder you know our we we talk about it being in this uh, large language model world now uh is, to what degree is that contributing to the ability for these fishers to get their stuff through to people
0: yeah it has all the hallmarks of of a legitimate email on it it's got the bitrex logo and everything yeah um uh the only thing is that it says dear bitrex user at the top so it's kind of a generic email
1: right Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, again, the uh, research is from the folks over at Abnormal Security. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Our lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers... That's vanta.com/slash cyber. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at TheCyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Vittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security.